Epiphany Church in Ligonier, Pennsylvania. Alleluia! Christ is risen! Good morning, Epiphany Church. It's a beautiful Sunday morning in Ligonier, Pennsylvania. And I'm here to tell you that Jesus Christ is alive. Your sins are still forgiven. Your future is still in the hands of the omnipotent creator of the universe who loves you. And death is not the end. I mean, what else is there to say? Maybe we should just call it a day right there. That's enough, right? Um, For our Sunday service this morning, our fifth of our services that we've observed together from a distance, we're back to our radio show format. I had a blast with everyone last week at our AM radio Giant Eagle service. If you were there, you know how fun and meaningful it was to join in with 400 people watching in person and online to proclaim the resurrection of Christ with our car horns. And if you weren't there, uh, the audio and video are linked in recent church emails. You can go ahead and check in there to see all of the fun and participate a couple of days behind. Stay tuned for the end of our service today for another fantastic piece of music and for an announcement regarding what we're calling Season 2 of our Cross and Corona time together. And for today, to start us off, our own Marty Rice is going to begin with a confession of sin and a little lesson in the ancient Greek as well. The Lord is risen indeed, my friends. Alleluia. Alleluia. This is Mark Rabbit. The traditional Easter greeting in ancient Greek is Christos Anisti, Kayanisti, Alisi. Christ is risen, he is risen indeed. We confess our sins to God and to our neighbors. Almighty and most merciful Father, we have erred and strayed from thy ways like lost sheep, followed too much the devices and desires of our own hearts. We have offended against your holy laws. We have left undone those things which we ought to have done, and we have done those things which we ought not to have done. And apart from your grace, there is no health in us. O Lord, have mercy upon us. Spare all those who confess their faults. Restore all those who are penitent. According to your promises, declare to all people, In Christ Jesus, our Lord. And grant, O most merciful Father, for his sake, that we may now live a godly, righteous, and sober life to the glory of your holy name. Amen. Hello, Epiphany. This is Pamela Anderson. Our psalm for today is Psalm 16. Preserve me, O God, for in you... Have I put my trust? O my soul, you have said unto the Lord, You are my Lord, I have no good apart from you. All my delight is upon the saints who are on the earth, and upon those who excel in virtue. But those who run after another God shall have great trouble. Their drink offerings of blood I will not offer, neither make mention of their names with my lips. The Lord himself is the portion of my inheritance and of my cup. You shall maintain my lot. The boundaries have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a goodly heritage. 
I will thank the Lord for giving me counsel. My heart also chastens me in the night season. I have set the Lord always before me. He is at my right hand, therefore I shall not fall. Therefore my heart is glad, my soul rejoices. My flesh also shall rest in hope. For you shall not leave my soul in the grave, neither shall you allow your Holy One to see corruption. You shall show me the path of life in your presence, in the fullness of joy, and at the right hand there is pleasure forevermore. Good morning, everyone. This is Grace Carnes. Bud and I have been back from Florida for a few weeks now. Our Bible passage for this morning is Acts chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. In the first book, O Theopolis, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during forty days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which, he said, you heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. This is the word of the Lord. Hallelujah! Christ our Passover has been sacrificed for us. Therefore let us keep the feast, not with the old leaven, the leaven of malice and evil, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. Hallelujah! Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. The death that he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. So also consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Jesus Christ our Lord. Alleluia. Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since by man came death, by a man has also come the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so as in Christ all shall be made alive. Alleluia. Amen. Of all the tokens of grace that I saw over the past Easter week, between the sermons and the videos and the music and the photography, the one that struck out to me the most, uh, the one that's staying with me even now, is the projection of a doctor's outfit onto the famous uh, statue of Christ the Redeemer in Brazil, in the capital Rio. And you know the statue, right? The, the statue with its outstretched arms that is overlooking Rio de Janeiro in Brazil. It's been there since 1936, and I'm always impressed by its size, right? The statue is nine stories tall just by itself, and nearly 13 stories tall if you include the base. So it's the size of a massive building, really, and it's built on top of one of Rio's highest mountains. And the redeeming Christ can be seen from miles and miles around. It towers over its city with love. And this week, 
the Archdiocese of Rio uh, in the Catholic Church, they chose to light up this statue of Christ the Redeemer with a powerful and technologically advanced projector. The statue, which is of course made out of soapstone and concrete, uh, can be lit up at night when you shine a light on it, and it, it looks remarkable. And so the diocese projected onto the statue of Jesus um, a white hospital coat and a stethoscope and scrubs, which is actually quite beautiful because one of the many titles given to Jesus over the ages, along with Christ the Redeemer, is Christ the Great Physician, the one who helped heal lepers and the sick and the blind and the lame and those with menstrual flow issues and those who had swelling conditions like dropsy. And you, dear members of Epiphany, know quite well about Christ the Great Physician, because we have just finished a sermon series on the Gospel of Luke, an ancient biography of Jesus that was written by a physician named Luke. We just finished a Gospel which compares Jesus to being a doctor, written by a doctor, and so seeing Jesus presented to the world as a doctor with outstretched and redeeming arms is quite remarkable. And during this wild pandemic, it is good to remember indeed that Jesus is the great physician. And in case you didn't know this, this is not well known, but it should be. Luke, the same person who wrote the Gospel of Luke, didn't just write one book of the Bible. He wrote a second book of the Bible uh, called the Book of Acts or the Acts of the Apostles. Luke's Gospel and the Book of Acts were originally meant to be read together. And so as we read Acts 1 this morning, um, it's good to remember that they're both two parts of the same longer book. And we read this morning how Acts chapter 1, this book of Acts, is addressed to the same person as Luke's gospel. And that person's name is Theophilus. It's a name that means lover of God. Um, so maybe it wasn't a particular person per se. Maybe it was to any generic lover of God who wanted to know about the work of Jesus and the work of the early church. Um, both books start out in the same way, so both books are worth our consideration. And in fact, in Acts chapter 1, which we're about to read right now, Luke's gives us, Luke gives us a summary of his intent behind penning the gospel we just finished. Here's what Luke says. In the first book, O Theophilus, it's the gospel of Luke, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during forty days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while he was staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized but with the Holy Spirit, not many days from now. So that's the very beginning of the book of Acts. And you know, finishing a book, finishing a good book is kind of a bittersweet experience. You're like, oh wow, I've invested in all of these characters and in this world that's been built up and now I can't have any new experiences with them. I can just repeat what I've already done, but that's not quite as fun as doing it the first time. Well, I have good news. 
um, we have the Acts of the Apostles. It's part two of the Gospel of Luke. And what's interesting is that Luke says that this second book is filled with everything that came after the beginning of Jesus's ministry. Did you catch that? I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up. And so even though we call the book of Acts, the book of Acts, meaning the Acts of the Apostles, Luke wants us to see that the book of Acts is a continuation of the spreading of the kingdom of God, a continuation of Jesus's ministry, which has been passed down to the apostles through the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus's ministry does not end at his ascension. It continues on through the book of Acts, through the epistles, through the book of Revelation, and then to the early church, and into the medieval and reformation churches, and all the way up to the year 2021 on April 19th. It's 2020, but you get what I'm saying. So while Jesus continues to be a major player and a major part of the book of Acts, Luke gives us this summary of what his gospel was about. He says, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. That's what we were to take away from the gospel of Luke. It is all that Jesus began to do and teach. Let's reflect on that a bit. After a year as a church of going through Luke's gospel, we remember plenty of things that Jesus did, right? Um, That he was a teacher and a preacher and an exorcist and a miracle worker, and he could control the weather and so much more. He focused his ministry for people who we might consider to be outsiders, these tax collector mafioso types and prostitutes and the poor and the old and the the sick and the blue-collar laborers at the bottom of the, the ladder, people we might consider to be marginal. And after a year or so in Luke's gospel, we remember plenty of the things that Jesus taught, too. He taught about how money and wealth and power mean nothing to God because he has all the money and the wealth and the power. Um, that Jesus taught that God is on the side of the faithful, not the popular. God is merciful to sufferers and the repentant. God spends extravagantly to save sinners. God has little time for religious posing. God has little time for people who add to his law and create unnecessary burdens for others in the process. All the things Jesus did and all the things Jesus taught put him in opposition to the politically and religiously powerful factions of the ancient Near East. The Romans, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the Sanhedrin, and as a result, a mob of angry religious fundamentalists pressured the Roman governor to end Jesus' life in the most inhuman and cruel way possible of the time, which was through crucifixion. And yet, as Luke reminds us, three days after the crucifixion, reports of Jesus' resurrection were flooding Jerusalem. The man they feared dead proved to be the very world saver that God had promised for generations. Let's return to our Brazilian statue for a moment, Christ the Redeemer, the great towering statue over Rio. I shared my admiration for it for the the, the good news that this statue represented in its illumination at the beginning of the sermon. But I want you to know I only arrived at that admiration after some uh, consideration, some deliberation. 
uh, my first thought in seeing the apparel of a doctor's uniform, the white coat and the stethoscope, projected onto a statue of Jesus, my first thought wasn't admiration. It was actually serious concern. Because one of the things we read in Luke's gospel is how dangerous it is to project our hopes and our aspirations onto Jesus. Time and time again, Jesus had to turn away and reject what people were projecting onto him, right? No crowds. He was not going to be a, a, a person who kicked out the Roman Empire. No, he was not just a prophet. No, he was not simply the reincarnation of Elijah or John the Baptist. Um, people kept projecting those things onto him, and he said time and time again, no, that's, that's not what my ministry is about. Um, again, everybody um, wants to put Jesus in their camp. He's kind of a big deal. And 2,000 years of trying, um, people have done that, some of them more successfully than others, but people have been struggling to understand the person of Jesus and his teachings and whether or not Jesus would be on their side. And so if you're politically or theologically conservative, then the Jesus you follow tends to trend in that direction, right? He's got a very strong traditional sexual ethic. He focuses on family matters, and he's got a high view of personal responsibility and a rigid understanding of right and wrong. Maybe he's got a respect for hierarchy too, but he's certainly someone who shares those beliefs that, that you happen to have, if those are beliefs you happen to have. And if you're politically or theologically liberal, then the Jesus you follow trends in that direction too. Very strong economic and communal ethic about how to exist as a group. And there's a welcoming attitude towards people of marginal backgrounds and a distrust of hierarchy and a distrust of wealth and power and money. Indeed, what, while it makes sense uh, to project onto Jesus the white coat and the stethoscope of a doctor, other people bring their own projectors to shine their own values and programs onto Jesus, whether Jesus actually receives that or not. We may project onto Jesus a rainbow flag for LGBTQ pride, or we may shine onto Jesus the yellow flag with the don't tread on me snake. Or maybe we shine onto Jesus the flag of Anglicanism, or maybe we shine onto Jesus the photo of Ligonier's famous bandstand. Um, now, follow me on this. I'm going to take you down an academic rabbit trail here. In scholarship land, in, in secular scholarship land, there's this field of study that's been categorized as research into the Jesus behind the Jesus of the Gospels. They call it the search for the historical Jesus. And it started really in Germany in the late 1800s. It started before that, but really picked up steam in the late 1800s. And it's continued on in a number of waves, really until the 80s or 90s. It's not very popular anymore, but it was for a number of years. And in my own opinion, the study of the historical Jesus is about 30% helpful and 70% eye-rolling. Um, the idea behind the field of this study is to try to figure out who the real, quote-unquote, uh, the real Jesus was, apart from the propaganda of the four canonical gospels and church history. On the one hand, this field of study has dramatically increased our knowledge of first century Judaism. If you ever hear me give some historical context to a sermon, then we have this field of scholarship to thank for that. But on the other hand, there's a lot of bad stuff that comes out from this field of scholarship too. 
if you ever open to read a newspaper headline that says scholars say Jesus didn't say 80% of the things that he said in the Gospels, that's kind of what this field of scholarship does. So it's really a mixed bag. It's not my favorite uh, space to spend time studying. But the first wave, as most people call it, maybe the, the first quest for the historical Jesus, this first big wave of scholarship ended in the early 1900s. And one of the reasons that it ended was that scholars noted how in an attempt to reconstruct the historical Jesus, the Jesus of history, these reconstructions of Jesus looked a lot like the scholars themselves who were doing the research. So one scholar might say, well, Jesus was actually just a cynic philosopher who challenged the values of ancient Near East Judaism. And it might be that this particular scholar in his personal life was a cynic philosopher who challenged the values of his own time. And another scholar might say, Jesus was a prophet of radical social change and inclusion. And we might find that in the scholar's personal life, he or she might be an advocate of radical social change and inclusion. And some scholars had said, Jesus is like a visionary mystic. And they themselves were very much into mysticism and, and that sort of spirituality in their own day. And it got so bad that one Bible scholar, a man named George Tyrell, penned this critique of the first quest for the historical Jesus. He said this, The Christ that these scholars see, looking back through 19 centuries of Catholic darkness, is only the reflection of a liberal Protestant face seen at the bottom of a deep well. And so imagine, if you will, that, that history is like a well, that you could look back down a well and see into the past. But way down at the bottom where the water level is, you see a murky reflection. And, and the critique is that that isn't history you see, that is simply your own reflection looking back at you. And this is critique, this critique of much of the scholarship that the scholars were simply remaking Jesus in a way that they felt comfortable with, in a way that they respect and admire, that critique was so spot on and so well regarded that it effectively shut down the entire school of scholarship for about 50 years. <laughs> um, but that's not just a critique of their projecting. It's not just a critique of their seeing their own reflection in Jesus. It's also a critique of our projections too. We are quite capable of projecting onto Jesus any of the things that validate our own life experiences. When we look back through 19 centuries of Christian and church history, it is possible that we only see the reflection of our own faces seen at the bottom of a deep well. As the old joke goes, God created man in his own image and we have tried to return the favor ever since. And yet, in the Gospel of Luke, as we finish our year in this Gospel, as we reflect on the life and ministry of the Messiah who died and rose again, I see a Savior there who presents himself as the exact solution to what each individual person really needs. To those who need forgiveness, he is a forgiver. To those who need healing, he is the healer. To those who need love, he is the embodiment of divine love. To those who are inhabited by demons, he is the great exorcist. 
To those who are weak, he is strength. Uh, To those who are slaves to sin, he redeems them. He buys them out of slavery. To those who are bound by the oppression of unnecessary and ungodly purity standards, he is the emancipator. To those who need a reality check about how their actions are hurting others, he is the voice of correction. To those who need to be called out for their hypocrisy, he speaks truth to power. For those who need correction on the course of their life, he is the voice of wisdom. To those who are the lost sheep, he is the good shepherd. And perhaps for most all of us, the most important thing um, is that for those who are marked by death, Jesus Christ is the resurrection from the dead. He's all these things and more. And I think as St. Paul says later on in his own writing, he says, look, I want to be all things to all people so that I might win some of them to Christ. Jesus reflects that very same kind of ministry. At some point during our series on the Gospel of Luke, I, I trust that you were able to find a point where you could connect with Jesus A Jesus who meets you in your deepest places, in your deepest need. The problem is, most of us don't necessarily know or agree with what we need, right? Most of us um, don't know what we need without some kind of reality check. Jesus can seem more like the embodiment of our deepest desires instead of the thing we need to survive. For, for many of us, because we're not in touch with the fact that Jesus is our daily bread, he's the bread of life, he is that by which all the rest of life is built upon in the first thing, um, Jesus is not the bread of life, but Jesus is maybe like an herbal supplement, which makes us feel a little better, maybe, and also makes us feel good because we're taking herbal supplements and that's you know something that healthy people do, I guess. Um, I'm going to make a Harry Potter reference here to help you understand what I'm talking about. The the book about the wizards and the witchcraft and that sort of, th- sort of stuff. And, um, you know, a small minority of Christians are anxious about Harry Potter. I don't share those convictions, but if that is your conviction, I acknowledge it now. And, and it, you know, we can talk about that later if you need to. Um, in the Harry Potter series, there's a throwaway gag and a plot point that's there kind of as a joke at first. But I think there's some real deep wisdom in it. There's this, there's this room in the series, this magical wizard school that all the wizards and the witches are training in. It's called Hogwarts. There's this room called the Room of Requirement. And the Room of Requirement has in it the very thing that you need, no matter what the thing is. And the joke is that the headmaster of the school, who's been there for a long time, is walking down the hall and he couldn't find a bathroom one day. And so he opened the door to a room that was full of chamber pots. The room of requirement had exactly what the headmaster needed. And uh, to students who would be sneaking around the school late at night after hours, um, the room would appear as a broom closet so that they could hide in the broom closet when the night watch went by and not get caught. And to the great villain of the book series, it was a place to hide this special secret MacGuffin item that nobody would find. But if you didn't know what you needed, if you didn't know what you were looking for, and you didn't have this understanding of what you needed in a particular moment, the room would not appear to you. It would simply be a wall. In Jesus Christ, you see, we have what we need. And in this time of the virus, we have for us the great physician 
projected onto the 12-story statue of Christ the Redeemer overlooking the city of Rio. We have the great physician for us. But for many of you right now, maybe you don't necessarily need the great physician, right? Maybe you're doing okay. Your health is in good shape. So what is it that you would need from Jesus right now? Do you need peace that this pandemic will eventually pass you by? At least three times in Luke's gospel, Jesus comes to the faithful and the troubled and he says, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Or he says to the disciples cowering in the upper room, peace be with you. And so see projected um, onto the statue of Jesus, see projected um, this great ambassador of heavenly peace. See someone dressed as an ambassador coming on a mission of peace. See that projected on the great statue in Rio. Are you anxious about your financial standing? Luke shares in his gospel that the poor widows line up in the heavenly parade before most people of wealth do. Um, that your season of financial need makes you fertile soil for the gospel of grace to bloom. See in Jesus not just the king of kings clothed in splendor who owns all the wealth in all of the world, but see also in Jesus the impoverished man who walked the face of the earth with zero possessions and God took care of him. See the clothes of the impoverished Jesus projected onto the statue in Rio. Are you angry at the people who don't wear masks at the store? Are you angry at people who are wearing masks to the store because they make you look bad? Are you angry at the government because the restrictions are too tight? Are you angry at the government because the restrictions are too loose? Jesus has a word for you too from Luke's gospel. Um, to pray for your enemies and love them. See onto the projection of Jesus' statue on Rio. See your enemy projected onto Jesus Christ. But in all these projections, no matter how you decide to project or what you need projected onto Jesus to make you uh, get through the day, notice that on the statue we're talking about, the statue of Christ the Redeemer, this great statue that is above the city, um, notice that no matter what you project onto this beloved seventh wonder of the world, the hands of the statue itself will still bear the wounds of Good Friday. That the original sculpture, the original statue of Christ the Redeemer, has marked on his Art Deco hands um, the piercing holes, the Art Deco holes of where he was pierced on Good Friday. Unlike the flags or the doctor's uniforms or the visions that we project onto the statue of Christ the Redeemer, no matter what we project on there, um, those things will change and they will fade and they will go away as our needs change. But what never changes about Christ the Redeemer is that he died and rose again. The cross is the anchor point of history. His wounds, although they may have healed in some way, they retain their distinctive scars no matter what we project onto him. And while in this world we have fellowship with Christ with what we need in the immediate from the day to day, on Easter Sunday, we received the Christ that we need for the eternal, crucified, risen, in charge of the world, and full of love. So go ahead. Search for the Jesus that you need. 
project onto him your needs like we have projected onto him the doctor's uniform. Go ahead. You will find that as long as your Jesus retains his pierced hands and his cruciform shape, the good news of God's love will sustain you. For Christ the Redeemer, Christ the Great Physician, Christ the Prince of Peace, the Forgiver of Sins, the Balm of Gilead, the King of Kings, and the Lover of Souls is for you now and always. In Jesus' name, amen. Hello, Epiphany. This is Rob Toscano reading the Apostles' Creed. Let's say it together. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord. He was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, and the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Now we're going to say the Lord's Prayer together. That as a tradition in our family, Terry and I hold hands together when we say the Lord's Prayer as a signal of our unity and as unity of what we're connected to in the church. So I'd invite you to do the same. Terry? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Good morning, Epiphany Church. This is Ellie Davis. I will be reading the prayers of the people this morning. As we begin, let us rest in the words of the psalmist, Be still and know that I am God. The Collect for the Day Almighty and Everlasting God, who in the Paschal Mystery established the New Covenant of Reconciliation, grant that all who have been reborn into the fellowship of Christ's body may show forth in their lives what they profess by their faith through Jesus Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God forever and ever. Amen. Join me in a prayer for those experiencing a natural disaster. Almighty God, by your word you laid the foundation of the earth, set the bounds of the sea, and still the wind and waves. Surround us with your grace and peace, and preserve us through this outbreak of COVID-19. By your spirit, lift up those who have fallen, strengthen those who work to rescue or rebuild, and fill us with the hope of your new creation through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. We remember those on Epiphany's prayer list and ask your blessing for the Walker family, Jill Ann Palmer, Ligonier Camp and Conference, Pine Springs Camp, and those among us who have asked for anonymous prayer. 
And now let us remember in prayer those who do not yet have a saving faith. Lord Jesus Christ, you stretched out your arms of love on the hardwood of the cross that everyone might come within the reach of your saving embrace. So clothe us in your spirit that we, reaching forth our hands in love, may bring those who do not know you to the knowledge and love of you for the honor of your name. Amen. As we close our time together this morning, I want to share a bit about Season 2, what we're calling Season 2 of our Cross and Corona time together. And uh, Season 2, what we're talking about with Season 2 is a shift in focus. You see, when the virus hit us here in Ligonier in mid-March, we were really all thrown off guard. Our last service together was March 15th. Now it's April 19th. We've been at this for over a month. And the questions that we had then aren't the questions we have now. How do we do church? How do we do life? How do we do all this when we can't be together in groups? These were the questions we asked back in March, and now that we've passed Easter, we're settling into these new patterns. Maybe with fewer showers, maybe with more sweatpants, maybe with less frequent trips to the gas station. You know the drill. You've been here with us the entire time. So the question I have asked our church leadership, and the question I've asked myself for some time now is this. What does it look like to proclaim Jesus' death and resurrection when we can't be with each other? What does it look like to do gospel-centered ministry in the age of corona? And it's not just a question I'm asking the leaders or myself, it's a question I'm asking you, too. If you have ideas about how to do church in this new season, I want to hear about it. Have you seen another church do something fun that you think would work well here in Ligonier? Uh, do you see a need that Epiphany could uh, help fill in the community, something that no one else has stepped up to tackle? Uh, we are specifically looking to up our game, as they say, in the areas of discipleship, like how we learn together as Christians, and outreach, how we tell others about Jesus, and even on our Sunday services of worship. We are taking advice on how to do that, too. Our closing song today comes from a group of musicians who've come together, and they're calling themselves the Pittsburgh Blessing. Uh, they're a group of musicians that represent 30 different churches across the Pittsburgh area, and uh, we've seen this before, a bunch of Christians coming together to help sing and praise God over you know, digital means and uh, Zoom calls and, and videos and things like that, and this group is no different, but they're all representing churches from the Pittsburgh area. And they have sung an arrangement uh, of the famous blessing from Numbers chapter 6, a blessing that God prescribes Moses to give to Aaron. Uh, it's eight minutes long, so it's a little bit long, but it's eight minutes good. I hope you are blessed by it, as I certainly was. And so I say, as they say, the Lord bless you and keep you, dear friends. And may the blessing of God Almighty, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit be with you now and remain with you always. We will see you next week.
and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace.
Church in Ligonier, Pennsylvania.